another episode of the Agile Whenever We Feel Like It podcast. My name is Clayton Langlesigich. I'm Roy Vanwater. I'm Derek Neighbors. Sometimes I'm Jade Maskill. <laughs> I'm Alan Daly. Okay, so today we have our special guest, Alan, and uh, Alan wanted to talk about roles versus collective ownership. Well, it's been fascinating to me recently um, uh, that I've had lots of discussions with people and been seeing lots of discussions online and, and in real life about people trying to define roles. It's your job to do this and your job to do that. The product owner should be the one you know, grooming the backlog and therefore the development team doesn't have to do that. And uh, so-and-so should be deciding who, who's on the teams and this is a problem that's not mine to solve because that's somebody else's role yep. or somebody else's power. Um, it seems like we spend so much time defining roles and boundaries of authority uh, that we could use that time to actually solve stuff. So I wanted to talk about the usefulness of roles, and I think they are useful in certain situations, but we're also roles versus collective ownership. How do we come to the point where we all realize we're in the same boat and we can all do whatever it takes to get that boat where it needs to go? Yeah, I, I saw an interesting definition of like what, what differentiates a group from a team. And the definition was a team, uh, a group becomes a team when they accept responsibility for their actions. Like collective responsibility. Yeah, as a, as a whole unit, like we accept the, the consequences of our actions. That, that's the defining moment when a group becomes a team. So, so if you were to like overhear a team talking, you'd, you'd hear it in their language. Like the idea of somebody would start saying like, oh, we messed that up here, even if that person was not Had nothing to do with the, actually doing the doing. Gotcha. In other words, you're saying like in the retrospective, I could say, Jade, you kind of let us down, blah, blah, blah. But when I'm outside the retrospective, I'm going to say we, the team failed. We yeah. failed. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, you know, I'll, I'll go straight to the sports analogies because I like them. Um, <laughs> and I don't understand them. I know you'll get this one, Roy. And uh, <laughs> I, I think soccer soccer is my favorite example of this and that the uh, every team that's won the World Cup probably since the late 70s has been influenced by a style of Dutch football um, that would be called total football here. And it was something that was a radical transformation going from positional play where you had, you know, hey, you're a forward, you play forward, you attack, you're a midfielder, you possess the ball, you're a defender, you defend, to basically training children from a very young age all aspects of football so that when they would step on a pitch there were no real positions so you might start in one particular position but throughout the game you just went wherever you needed to go and all of the people were interchangeable short of the goalie and or the keeper and I I think that that style was so successful that almost every program has adopted that mentality of you no longer just train for one thing you have to be a complete player regardless of where the position is and I think we're starting to see that mentality happen in software teams where you no longer can have the database person or the designer person or the front end person or the developer person that you really want people that are well rounded you might have people that start in a certain position and have a strength towards that or a role and have a strength towards that role but teams that are like well I can't do that because that's not my you know Scrum Master left, and I'm not the Scrum Master, so I can't do it. They're doomed. The teams are like, hey, the Scrum Master is gone this week. Somebody will step in, and we'll just do it and keep rolling. Those are the teams that are adaptable. And so I think that 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 starts to reinforce the it's everybody's job to score a goal. It's everybody's job to stop a goal. Same sort of thing. If if our results are owned together, there is no, well, it's the defense's fault that we lost. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say that the the time that I hear – People talking about roles the most are when like blame is happening when someone's trying to blame somebody. So um, blame is important. 
Huh? When blame is important. Right. Yeah. So and I, I don't think I've ever really seen a, seen a team where like they did something that was that was successful and and they single people out in that regard. Like everyone's kind of okay with sharing some of the credit, but when someone needs to be in trouble or we need to blame somebody, uh, that's when the role stuff comes up. I think a lot of like dealing with conflict and like, management type stuff comes up, like the especially the old hierarchies. You know, I, I, like having teams where they have been trying to be maybe like a um, cross-functional team and maybe they're trying to be like having collective ownership but the second something kind of bad happens or they, someone needs to assert power about how the situation should happen they revert to maybe like the two-year-old way of doing things where it's like well uh, I know that you're part of this team and everything but like you are from the QA organization and even though you haven't like done that for two years but like I'm a developer and like that used to be that used to mean something two years ago but like I'm still going to kind of go all the way back to that issue so that I can assert this thing over and say that we're going to do it this way like it's always the negative stuff when the roles come up. Well, so let me let me flip that around a little bit. Um, I've been in environments where where people defend their roles because that's what has always made them valuable. So I am a valuable tester, or I am a valuable manager, project manager, or just a, a dev manager. And I so let's take the dev manager example. I'm a valuable dev manager. I need to know what's wrong in the team. Therefore, I must attend the retrospectives. Right. And so that may be a positive thing, depending on the relationship with the manager. But, but I, to me, sometimes it feels like people are trying to hang on to what they know from 20 years of working that way um, so that they s- can hang on to what they see as the way that they contribute value. Yeah, I think people that have got to a certain point in the organization or their career by specializing in being something to come in and say, like, hey, we're kind of kind of pretend that that's not super important. It, what really matters is that the whole team is responsible for the outcomes and has to own whatever happens. Like, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, I think, for those people. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to hijack the conversation, but this is largely because that's how we do performance. Exactly. So we yeah. do individual performance yes. reviews that say, you're a good developer, so we're going to promote you to a developer leader. Oh, you're a really good developer leader. We're going to promote you to a developer manager. Right? And so all of that, so their whole career, they've been trained that their individual results are what they get rewarded on. And so when we talk about sharing the outcome, why the hell should I share the outcome? Because how I get compensated isn't shared. So if how I get compensated isn't shared, what benefit is there for me to share? And so when you start to change the conversation away from individual performance and start to put it towards team results or product results, people get scared really quick because whoa, 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 whoa. Now the next thing that you're gonna say is that reward is based on results and damn it, for 20 years, nobody's ever made me get results. I don't know how to do that. Right. And I'm afraid that maybe Jane doesn't know how to do that and Clayton doesn't know how to do that. And so now all these accolades and benefits and everything that I've from gotten effort. from effort are going away. I'm scared. And that's what they're really saying is I'm afraid of losing the title because there's something tied to that title that's so much deeper. Right? There's authority tied into it. There's reward tied into it. There's so much tied into it. That the unknown is just too scary to let go of. So what? Why? Why are roles important then? Like, what's what's good about them? That's uh, that's good. I wanted to swing back so, around to that. So a one in one case where I think uh, roles are important is in defining a clear path of authority. Like we've talked about the idea of a perfect manager who comes in, drops a task, or uh, not a task, but like drops a end result on a team and then goes off into the background and, uh, until the task is done. Like, 
That that is a case I think where you have to have somebody that's kind of that defined role and they can't be a member of the team. Like that just doesn't work. So, but why does Scrum have roles then? Why why are they defined that way? So my answer to that would be to say that Scrum Scrum using Scrum as an example, XP has some similar roles, but I think the roles are defined in these frameworks so that you know there are certain areas to focus on. There needs to be somebody defining what the product does. There needs to be somebody paying attention to how the process works. It's not necessarily trying to say we need a role and a title and somebody to own this and nobody else can do it. In some but cases they are, though. I mean, there's... there's yes, because we through, twist that. We right, twist exactly. That. Like the product owner is, is oftentimes called the single ringable neck, right? Right, which I don't agree with. Yeah, um, so, so I think some of that is... Um, like a Dreyfus model type of problem, right? So, you know, like you said, most software development teams, especially 10 years ago, didn't have the concept of a product person. They didn't have the concept of someone helping them deal with organizational impediments or impediments outside of the team. And so I think Scrum was very prescriptive and said, hey, every high-performing team we've seen has people that do these sort of things. So we should probably say that every team should have this sort of behavior happening in it. And the easiest way to do that in introducing it to corporate America is say, make a job title around it that you can fill that position and then it will guarantee that somebody will get it done. And I think think that's an important part of why those exist too is that they provided a place for all of the... There there was a whole existing workforce of people that filled similar roles in the old organization that now needed new roles. And this provided an easy way to, to kind of slide them over horizontally and say like, okay, you used to be a product manager, now you're a product owner, or you used to be a whatever, now you're a scrum master. Yeah, and, and I, I think that as you see teams evolve that, that, that adopt, say, strict scrum and have those roles, I think over time they start to realize that those roles don't make a ton of sense. Some of it is as their uh, organization starts to evolve, developers become more in tune to doing product work and it's not just about development. Right. Mm-hmm. And the organization has less impediments because they're learning how to organize in ways that have less roadblocks. So you start to see those maybe dissolve as roles and just become traits of teams. You, right. Teams have a trait that they know how to do product. And teams have trait that they know how to get rid of impediments. Right. And it's not one person's job to do I, I, I think it's fabulous that the concept of a cross-functional team is what helps to create that, dissolve those boundaries, right? Even if we have a traditionally siloed organization and traditionally I am always a tester and will never be anything else, mm-hmm. once you, you tell me and, and require me to work a year with people with other skills, and if I truly am working with them every day, and we're doing you know, stories that are focused on the user instead of focused on technical tasks, now suddenly, I, by the end of that year, I am familiar with other skills. I am familiar it's, with how other things work, and I begin to break down those, those barriers. It's interesting, though, because um, people will at first have very much difficulty with uh, the concept of um, being cross-functional in a technical sense. So, like... That the same person touches the database, touches the front end, touches the back end, touches the UI that the user sees, and uh, meets with the customers. Yeah, and does well, and does testing, Whoa. but doesn't meet with the customers. <laughs> like people are okay with that first jump, and even that's a big jump for them. But then, like to make the jump from, like, okay, now I'm now I'm uh, cross-functional technically, but like I'm gonna jump out of my technical comfort zone and into the uh, like the, the murky area of like dealing with customers and thinking about product, like people are not ready for that. Like most people are not very willing to make that jump by themselves. 
One thing I think is interesting is with teams that have been, say, like doing Scrum for a while, I think maybe they would have started with the prescriptive approach of like, we have this one person and they're the Scrum Master, they do the Scrum Master things. Like over time, I think they usually, not for the right reasons, but they will start blending those roles and be like, well, like the Scrum Master left to go do some other thing and we didn't really want to hire someone else because it's kind of hard to justify that job now. So like the lead developer, they're kind of the Scrum Master too and like they just do both things. And I think Mm -hmm. like they kind of, like under the guise of like, oh, roles aren't really important. They kind of just blend all that stuff together. And I think you end up with like a bad experience where you don't get great outcomes because you don't have somebody that's dedicated to doing certain things. And I like usually those teams aren't mature enough to make that choice. And I'd say mature teams usually don't make that choice. Um, but I think that's something that I've seen on some teams that maybe would consider themselves maybe a little more mature from an agile perspective is that they're kind of just blending all that stuff together. Like as if roles don't mean anything. Well, yeah, if you blend too soon, you become, right, Scrum Master is the role that gets blended the most, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I certainly can agree that certain mature teams, high-performing teams, can get to a point where they don't need a Scrum Master because all of them are so good at looking for improvements, and they just do it the, as a team, and mm-hmm. that's great. But so often, you know, teams go four months, five months, and... And they say, well, we're under pressure now, so the Scrum Master used to be a developer. He should start writing code. Right, right. exactly. And, yeah. and, and then that focus, and I like to talk about it as focus as opposed to saying this is your, your role or the thing you have to do. That focus on improvement it gets diluted. and We, we don't have time to get better. we got to deliver now. Yeah. yeah. Right, that attitude. Yeah, so it's one of the things that I like that I've seen done with teams, and I haven't done it yet. I'm very anxious to do it again with another team, is where um, I'm a big fan of teamwork agreements, but... Um, I've seen it done where you get down to a team member agreements. In other words, the product owner has a, a priority of the things that he can do, the things that he agrees to do. And so when something outside of the product owner role and a product owner thing compete with each other, mm-hmm. he has a priority of how to choose which action he should take that keeps him in, focused in that role. I like the idea, though, of a of a team being properly aligned in a direction and anybody stepping up into that product role so that there isn't one guy whose number one priority is product. There may be a guy who has the most experience in it. He might be the guy you go to for help first, but you pull a task off the board and you go and do it, and you don't save it for the product guy because he happens to be better at it. So if you were putting together a brand new team, right, and you had your choice of how to organize it, how to assemble it, how, how would you do this? How would, how would you lay out the roles and responsibilities it's, it would be something that the team builds together themselves. Uh, each of the team members, even when they're starting out anew, each one of them knows where their strengths are and where they're, where they're not. And so they'll, gonna, they'll, they'll have to build it together the same way they would build a teamwork agreement together, where we expect uh, user acceptance testing, these people will attend that, and there's you know, different things to do that they could help define each other and figure out where the roles are so that they don't neglect one or another of the focuses that they should have. Focus on product, focus on improvement. All right. On that note, I think we're all out of time. Thanks. Thank you. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integrumtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona.
For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.